Hello, welcome to Flour Butter X Sugar. My name's Kate and I'm host of this podcast, which is all about home baking and it is recorded in my little kitchen in London. So lovely to talk to you today. Today, we're not going to mess around too much. We're going to get pretty much straight into these recipes because there are four of them. And today I'm going to be talking to you about black cocoa. So I'll talk a little bit at the start about what it is. And then we'll get straight into some recipes. So we've got Ed Kimber's chocolate sable biscuits. We have got the River Cottage pear cake. We've got some chocolate tahini biscuits. And we've also got uh, Dory Greenspan's World Peace Cookies with freeze-dried raspberries. So loads to talk about today and I'm very excited to get started. So I did promise that I wouldn't go on too much at the start, but I just wanted to let you know about a project that I'm doing or that I'm starting um, just quickly. So um, as everybody else, I've been really horrified by the war in Ukraine and I've decided to try and use my obsession with biscuits for good. Um, So as well as other types of solidarity, I am going to be raising money for some Ukrainian um, Organize workers and trade union organizations that are also um, providing humanitarian uh, help as well. And in order to raise some of those funds, I am going to be selling homemade biscuits or cookies. Um, I've decided uh, on three to sell. One of them is a traditional Ukrainian bake. Um, and then a couple of others that are just two of my other favorites, really. Uh, so... I'm just going to kind of sell, like do small batches, maybe do um, do a send off once a week. And I guess it's just a very small thing that I can do to help maybe um, or help some people. And it's also, you know, an excuse to bake, which I think is really good for me and my mental health. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Um, I. It, like if you are interested um, and you live in the UK let me know if you'd like to buy some biscuits off me I unfortunately won't be doing international shipping because it will just take too long to get to you and by the time they get to you they will be quite stale so (laughs) I don't think it's the wisest idea but I will share links to the organizations that I'm going to be supporting through social media so I just thought I'd let you know, you know, maybe if it inspires somebody to do something similar, then that would be incredible. Um, but that's something that I'm working on in the next couple of weeks. That I'm looking forward to. And so let's talk, start talking about black cocoa. Now, as I mentioned in the previous episode, the reason why I got into this was I'd seen loads of different posts online about black cocoa. It looks very intriguing. I like the fact that it's meant to be very intense and chocolatey. So I bought some online (laughs) and what I didn't do was I didn't compare the weight of the cocoa to the weight that I normally buy. And thus I didn't realize that I was buying like industrial quantities of black cocoa. So I have quite a lot of black cocoa to use up. And I think I've got through about a quarter of it so far, (laughs) so it's still a long way to go. Thankfully, because I live in a cold climate, it doesn't go off like hugely quickly, but it is still something that I have to kind of be aware of. Uh, So that's the kind of reason behind this whole episode pretty much. But I guess I bought it in the first place because there were a lot of recipes that intrigued me and a lot of things about black cocoa that intrigued me. Black cocoa itself is actually just Dutch processed cocoa. So it's cocoa, it's like where you put natural cocoa powder through a process of alkanization. I think I'm saying that correctly, but you're basically washing the cocoa to get rid of 
some of its acidity and that means that you get a more intense chocolatey flavor and black cocoa is just a more extreme version of that so you're kind of alkalizing it even further if i'm saying that correctly now where i live actually i think most of the cocoa powder that you get is already dutch processed it's really common in europe i know that natural cocoa is more common in north america or at least the us anyway so i don't know how hard this might be to get hold of but i have seen quite a lot of recipes that use black cocoa on place you know some of my go-to places like the king arthur flower website food 52 new york times these are my kind of go-to's <laughs> american go-to's for recipes so i'm hoping that you can get it from some places and yes it is a very delicious thing it is very intense i think it's good used in small amounts or offset with other things so i'll talk about that and how that relates to the individual bakes that i made I think you could also cut it with natural cocoa powder or with a sort of standard Dutch processed cocoa powder. If you, particularly if you're using a lot, because it, as I say, it is very, very intense, the, the flavor. So that's just something to be aware of. But for the most part, you can actually just substitute any recipe that uses Dutch processed cocoa, or that says that you can use Dutch processed cocoa in that recipe. You can, you can substitute black cocoa in for it pretty much at any time. You just want to be aware, as I say, of the fact that it is slightly more intense. So that's a little bit about, about uh, something I'm getting up to recently and black cocoa. And we're going to start the episode by talking about Ed Kimber's chocolate sable biscuits. So let's go. So I believe that sable means sandy in French or something close to that. And they're basically a sort of French shortbread. That's pretty much what it is. There's no need to be intimidated or think that that's unachievable because it isn't. And actually for the three biscuit recipes or cookie recipes in this episode, they pretty much all use the same method. So they all use a creaming method, which I would more com commonly associate with cakes but I do think that they all really work so I didn't think of changing that uh, when I normally make shortbread in a kind of British or Scottish fashion I would actually cut the butter into the flour more like you were making a pastry really but anyway these all use the creaming method and I think that they are good as a result basically so I wouldn't really change that. So these cookies, I do have a look at the pictures that I've put online of all of these bakes because they are incredibly beautiful, even more so than, you know, some of the other things that I've posted that I've been proud of. And that's because of the drama of the black cocoa. It's just such a incredible colour. It really does make everything look extremely dark. And these have got white chocolate in them. Now, the original recipe calls for caramelized white chocolate, which by all means use. I think the idea is that you need something sweet to offset the richness and the intenseness of the intensity, rather, of the black cocoa. So that's, that's why they work. They also have a really lovely short texture and they are one of those biscuits that's kind of crumbly and melts on your melts on the tongue, which I absolutely love. So I really, really enjoyed these. They are very, very well balanced because of that. I think because of the, it's quite an intense biscuit with that, with those chunks of white or caramelized white chocolate. So they are very well balanced and definitely use salt 
the salt will really bring out the best of both of those flavors. So it's, it's really well worth using the amount of salt that it calls for. So let's talk about the ingredients then. So this is to make about 25 biscuits. So he uses 140 grams of plain or all-purpose flour, 140 grams of wholemeal rye flour. Now, you could absolutely substitute that with a light rye flour or just more all-purpose flour. It wouldn't be an issue. It just it just is a bit of nice variety and rye has a slightly sour flavour, which is quite nice in a sort of rich biscuit like this. But you couldn't pinpoint that rye. You can you couldn't tell that it has rye flour in it. So I don't think it's I, I don't I don't think it should be a barrier to you trying these if you've only got all-purpose flour. Then you also want 40 grams of black cocoa. If you can't get hold of black cocoa, do use Dutch processed if you like, because it'll it it will be similar, just not quite as intense. And then you want three quarters of a teaspoon of baking soda or bicarbonate of soda is what we call it in Britain. And you want half a teaspoon of flaky salt. So I used Molden, but any there are various others that are available. So anything that's flaky. You want 220 grams of unsalted butter. If you have only got salted, don't let it be a barrier. Just use a lot less salt because depending on the brand, that's going to add quite a lot of salt in. You also want 125 grams of castor, which is super fine, or just granulated sugar. Like it doesn't really matter too much in this recipe, which you use. You want 125 grams of light brown sugar. Now, as with all bakes, that just adds a bit more of a caramelly kind of note. So I think it's worth using. You also want two teaspoons of vanilla extract or bean paste. So that's quite a lot, but I think that it really, really works with particularly with the white chocolate because it. The I think I I often find that if something's quite sweet, a slightly heavier hand with the spicing really kind of works. Um, it's a bit like if you were making a masala or karak chai. You you know they are always sweetened. Um, if you just had milk with a load of spices in it, it just wouldn't be the same. So, yeah, the the kind of a fairly heavy hand with the spicing with a quite a, a sweet uh, flavour, I, I find really, really works. Talking of which, you also want 200 grams of white chocolate or caramelised white chocolate. Now, just a little tip for you, if you would like to do the caramelised white chocolate, he uses an oven method, which I'm sure is great, but it takes a lot longer than doing it in the microwave. So if you're happy to use your microwave, as Nigella calls it, as a, jokingly, <laughs> then all you're really doing is you just need to overheat that white chocolate, essentially. Now, go slowly, go, go steadily, stop it regularly, stir it regularly, because you obviously don't want to take it too far and kind of burn it too much, make it kind of acrid. But you can absolutely just do this in the microwave. And it it's much quicker. So that's probably what I would recommend, because you've got to make it in advance, then you've got to cool it, and then you've got to chop it. So it's going to take a while, you might want to do it the day before. But also, the other thing is that he uses a higher amount of chocolate to do this uh, in the recipe. And I think it's much easier to caramelize a small amount of white chocolate in the microwave than it is in the oven. So that's my two cents on caramelized white chocolate. I have made it before. I do really like it, but I just preferred to use plain white chocolate here. So I did. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the method. This is going to be super quick because, as I say, it's basically just a creaming method. So what you want to do is sieve the flours, cocoa and bicarb and, the, and then add the salt and just whisk those together or stir them together. As long as they're roughly combined, that's great. Then you want to cream the butter and sugar. You could do this in the bowl of a stand mixer. You could use hand beaters and a large bowl, whichever is preferable to you. 
Then you just want to add the flour mixture and combine. Then you add the chopped chocolate. So you want fairly big chunks of chocolate, in my opinion, because they just melt on your tongue really nicely in the final biscuit. So that's what I would recommend. And it will be very difficult to bring together. Both of our kind of sablés biscuits, the world peace cookies are also a kind of sablé. Both of those are quite difficult doughs to bring together, but you are rewarded in the final texture of the biscuit. The final texture is phenomenal. It's so short, it just melts on your tongue. It's really delicious. And just have faith and patience. You will get there. It will be fine. It will cohere a bit more in the fridge. And then when you're baking it, it will it will definitely cohere. So don't worry too much. What you want to do is you want to kind of press and roll out about two logs that you could do some like three smaller logs if you prefer. prefer. The key thing is the diameter of them, which wants to be about three inches across. So you then want to refrigerate these until they're very firm. So four hours or more. I think mine took about four hours. Then you are preheating your oven to very low. So 160 degrees Celsius or 325 Fahrenheit. And then you want to cut sort of chunks off of those rounds of about half an inch or 1.25 centimeters, leaving a little bit of space around them for spread. They won't really spread that much. And then you bake those for 13 minutes. And there there won't be really any good visual cues. You just need to trust the process. Just take them out after 13 minutes, cool them. They will be incredible. If they crumble while you're trying to cut them up, then just press the, the, the two halves or the three bits back together again, and they will cohere nicely in the oven. So don't worry too much. It is a little bit of a tricky dough to work with, but just have faith that it will all come together in the end because it will. So that is Ed Kimber's chocolate sable biscuits. I actually think that these may have been loosely based on Dory Greenspan slash Pierre Hermes sable, which we'll talk about at the end of the the episode. Next, I want to talk to you about a an incredible pear cake that is uh, comes to us via the River Cottage. Now, I wanted to feature this recipe because it's one of my absolute favourite cake recipes. I also think that it's worth considering that even though we often think of pears as a kind of autumnal thing to bake, which they are because that's when they come into season. So that's when you start seeing them. And that's that's why we think of them as autumnal. Uh, In the northern hemisphere, their season actually runs to January or February. So it's one of those things that I will find in the supermarket from nearby to the UK, places like the Netherlands. And they are, they will be in season when very other, very little other food that's at least that's grown, you know, nearby-ish is in season. So I do love them for that reason, but I also just really, really enjoy pears in general. I tend to use conference pears when I am baking. Uh, So if you want to look up a kind of similar variety, then do so. They are a pear that are nice and sweet. They are not, then they are firm enough to hold up while baking, but not so, not so uh, kind of not too mushy. They don't turn into a mush, you know. Um, so they're, they're, yeah, they're soft enough to bake up lovely, but they're not so soft that they're a mush. And as I say, this is one of my go-tos. I have actually baked this maybe about 10 times. I really, really like this recipe. And I guess the one thing that I've really changed is that I really like to roast the pears. Now, I just, I basically roast everything because, (laughs) well, not everything, but a lot of things because I prefer just shoving something in the oven and then forgetting about it for a bit and just putting a timer on 
so I, I'm, I, I'm not as much of a hob cook as many people. I, I do use a lot of sheet pan recipes and uh, tray bakes and things like that in my cooking. Uh, so that's that's kind of where this comes from. But, you know, obviously you could just look up the original recipe and follow their instructions. It's really not very different to cook these in a pan. So let's talk about the ingredients. You want four pears. As I say, I use conference pears. You want 185 grams of butter, and that will be divided. So you want 150 grams for the cake and 35 grams for cooking the pears. You want two tablespoons of soft light brown sugar. That is for cooking the pears and the zest of an orange if you if you want. I often skip that if I'm honest with you, but that is also for cooking the pears. You want for the actual cake itself, that 150 grams of butter that we talked about before. You also want 100 grams of ground almonds, 100 grams of plain or all-purpose flour, 25 grams of cocoa powder. I used black in this case, but I've used it with Dutch processed as well, and it works absolutely lovely. But I really, really thought that it worked well with black cocoa. That's why I'm including it in the episode. You want two large eggs. So I used UK large, so that would have been between 120 and 140 grams in their shells. So you may want to use a US extra large or you may want to weigh your eggs. And you also want 150 grams of castor sugar or super fine sugar. I think if it's not too much of a pain for you to get hold of or not too much of an expense, it's probably worth it for this one because I often find that I, I tend to find that caster sugar bakes better in a delicate cake. That's why we kind of commonly use it over here. However, it's uh, I think it would be absolutely fine with granulated. So don't kind of worry about that. It's not a problem. You also want two tablespoons of milk and you want a teaspoon of baking powder. So those are our ingredients. And then... For the method, we're going to cook our pears first. So we want to peel them. I just use a vegetable peeler usually. You want to remove their stalks. You want to cut them into quarters and remove the seeds. You also might, I've not said this in the recipe, I need to just uh, add this, but you you know, you probably want to cut off that tiny bit at the bottom as well. The, um, you also want, so then you're going to roast them. Once you've cut them into quarters, remove the seeds, blah, blah, blah. You roast them in the 35 grams of butter, the two tablespoons of light brown sugar and the orange zest if you're using it in a fairly kind of low oven. So around 180 degrees C or 350 fan for about 25 to 30 minutes. Okay. And that that's until they're soft, but they shouldn't be falling apart. So just maybe check on them 15, 20 minutes in. That's what I would do. And you can use a fork or a skewer to just see how soft they are and just test them. Now, the ideal thing here is that you then just leave the oven on at the same temperature while you're getting the cake ready. Okay. Um, so you want to set those to, to one side and then you're starting to prepare your cake. So you want to grease and line a 23 centimetre or nine inch springform cake pan. Uh, I just grease it with butter usually because that's what's in the recipe. You then want to sift or whisk to together, well, sift and whisk together or sift and stir together the ground almonds, flour, cocoa powder and baking powder. And then you're going to cream the butter and sugar until light and fluffy. Then you're going to add the eggs one at a time, beating well after each addition. This is, should be this is probably very familiar to ground to all of you. This is a very classic cake preparation method. You then add the dry ingredients, misc and mix until combined, and then finally you want to mix in that milk to achieve a kind of dropping consistency, so it drops off the spoon after a couple of seconds, type of thing. So that's your cake batter. 
you want to then transfer that batter into the tin. You top it with the pears and any roasting juices that are left over from roasting it. Place that cake tin on a, on a baking tray. I do this as an insurance policy in case of any leaking, which can happen. Just a little bit of fat sometimes leaks out of the bottom, but not so much that it makes the cake dry, don't worry. And you then bake that for about an hour and check it about 50 minutes in to see how it's getting on. So the reason I wanted to choose this recipe is I think it's supremely well balanced and I think that it looks phenomenal with black cocoa, but it also tastes phenomenal with black cocoa. The pears obviously add a kind of sweetness and round out the black cocoa a bit more so that it's not quite as intense. They kind of balance it really nicely and add a sort of extra dimension. So I absolutely love this recipe. If pears are out of season where you are, then I, it's really worth bearing in mind until they're in season. As I say, this is a cake that a cake that I go back to time and time again. And you know, it's it's just very reliably good. And my obsession with ground almonds is extremely well documented on this podcast. <laughs> I just love them because of the way that they help cakes stay much more like they, they just keep better and they have a, a more delicate texture and I just really enjoy them so they are a little bit expensive but I, I, I absolutely love them so that was the river cottage uh, chocolate pear cake and next we are going to be talking about some chocolate tahini shortbread biscuits Something that I forgot to add was that the original recipe for that chocolate pear cake has a sauce that goes with it, which is absolutely delicious. And do make it, particularly if you're serving this as a, as a sort of dessert. But if you're serving this as a kind of snacking cake or a cake that you have with a cup of tea, I really don't think the sauce is actually necessary. So that's just my opinion on that. You know, as I say, dessert, I think the sauce would be great. Snacking cake coffee cake cake that you have with a cup of tea don't think it's necessary so yes okay so let's talk about these chocolate tahini biscuits shall we now these i adapted from a lemon and tahini biscuit which is in ruby tando's book crumb which i've recommended many times i will recommend it for as long as i can whenever i can as much as i can i will plug the absolute shit out of it because it's such a lovely book and by the way I'm really I'm really enjoying her new newish book as well which is called cook as you are particularly for like you know savory cooking but it does have some good sweet recipes in there too anyway so this lemon and tahini biscuit that I adapted it from I've made several times and it's extremely good the lemon and tahini are just they just work so well together like it's unreal and I would really recommend trying those as well as trying these ones with black cocoa. It's worth trying both out. And the way that I adapted these was I simply removed the lemon zest out of them. And then I replaced a little bit of the flour, not very much really, with uh, a little bit of black cocoa. And it was really important that I didn't overdo that because they're pretty intense. So I'll talk to you now about what goes into them. So you've got 120 grams of butter and 120 grams of tahini, 120 grams of castor or superfine sugar, but granulated would absolutely be fine here. I don't think it would make much difference to be honest. You also want 205 grams of plain or all-purpose flour. You want 35 grams of black cocoa or Dutch processed cocoa. I think you need, I don't think natural would work as well here, personally. You also want a teaspoon of baking powder. And you want around 50 grams of sesame seeds for rolling them. Now, again, if you want to go onto the website and see what these look like, I might use these for the actual thumbnail I'm not I haven't decided yet but 
They look very, very stunning. They look really dramatic. Uh, you definitely want a plate underneath you or a saucer while you're eating them because the sesame seeds do tend to go everywhere. But I really enjoyed them. I think it's worth it, worth the slight risk of mess because they just look really beautiful. They look really kind of striking and dramatic and I, I absolutely love it. So that's why I use those sesame seeds. And as you can tell from the way I'm talking about them, the contrast and everything, I, I used white sesame seeds. Black would be just as good in terms of flavor, but it wouldn't provide that kind of, you know, drama, kind of contrast to the look of the biscuit. Right, so let's talk about the method. Fairly short list of ingredients, isn't it? And the method is gonna be really, really short. So preheat your oven to 180C or 350 Fahrenheit um, or 160C fan. Line a baking tray or two with baking parchment. Now, I don't trust my oven, so I just do one at a time because <laughs> the shelves are all at different temperatures. So I put a an oven thermometer on the shelf that I'm going to use and just do them in batches. That's what I do with, with biscuits. Takes longer, but what can you do? I don't have a fan oven and I don't have a high quality oven. So that's the best way for me to control what I'm doing and not burner things and, you know, kind of have a more consistent bake. So you then want to cream together the butter, tahini and sugar until it's light and fluffy. So definitely go like for a few minutes, either with your stand mixer, if you're lucky enough to have one or with your um, electric hand beaters. Um, I think doing this by hand would be a bit of an ordeal, um, but although you could certainly have a go if you've got good, good arm strength. You then want to whisk together the flour, cocoa and baking powder. Isn't this sounding so familiar? I told you a lot of the methods were very similar. You then want to add those, uh, you then want to add the dry ingredients to that wet mixture in stages. So I do this in two stages because partly to make sure it mixes evenly and partly because that cocoa has the tendency to go fly all over your kitchen. And if you just add it in one go, it has more of a tendency to do that because, you know, uh, I don't really know how to explain the physics, but it just does. And something that I sometimes do as well is I'll actually just mix it in a little bit by hand before I put the mixer on. And that often will tend to make cocoa or icing sugar not completely coat every surface of my kitchen quite as much. So then you're going to roll this into balls. So this is where it de departs from um, the sable recipes. So rather than, you know, shaping it into logs and then cutting the logs, you are just rolling it into balls. So it's really easy. Those balls for me weighed about 25 grams. I think she says the size of a conker, but I think that's really quite culturally specific. <laughs> so anyway. Um, then you roll them in sesame seeds and then you're going to space them out a little on the baking sheets, but they don't actually spread that much and you then press them down. So you, it's, I think it looks really nice to press them down with a fork um, and they will have cracks on the outside, but I, I actually really appreciate those. I think they look really good. I think they just look really lovely. So I enjoy it that side of it and then you just bake them for 12 minutes that is it okay so very very simple now the reason I wanted to include these was because they're a very interesting biscuit they're very grown up they are they're very well balanced but they are less sweet than a lot of biscuits a lot of cookies they've definitely got a kind of savory edge to them which I guess must be from the tahini and sesame seeds, but also adding the black cocoa, you know, makes them richer as well. But I've kept the amount of sugar the same. So they are quite a complex little number. 
I did really enjoy them. They have a really melting texture on your tongue. They're slightly more cakey than the Sablés, I guess, but they are still, yeah, as I say, they're, they're still a really nice melting consistency, very short. And they're kind of a bit dry, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't think that's a bad thing in a biscuit usually. I think it's a bad thing in a cake. But it's the sort of biscuit that is really lovely with a cup of tea or with a cup of coffee. It just, it's, uh, you don't need very many of them because they are quite rich. And it's just a little, little like after meal, you know, treat. It's just, they're just very, I think they're very sophisticated. And the actual original recipe, which uses lemon and tahini rather than chocolate and tahini, is also very sophisticated. Now, something that's just occurred to me is if I were to make this again, I might consider adding some chopped chocolate. I think that might add a nice extra dimension to them. And it might mean that the there's a bit more diff variation of texture in the actual biscuit itself. So that's something that you might want to consider. But otherwise, these are a really lovely biscuit. If you're baking for people with a, quite a sweet tooth, they're probably not the best, you know, or for kids. But I think if you're baking for grown-ups or people with, you know, a fairly kind of um, a palette that's, you know, we used to trying lots of different flavours, then definitely worth, worth a go and really did enjoy them. And that's why I wanted to include them. So our final recipe is Dory Greenspan's World Peace Cookies. And these are with freeze-dried raspberries. So it's been a real marathon so far, but I'm really looking forward to talking to you about these. So finally, we're talking about Dory Greenspan's World Peace Cookies. This is a recipe that she learnt from the French pastry chef Pierre Homme. And they're a kind of French sablé or shortbread biscuit, essentially. And they got this nickname from the fact that she hasn't come across anybody that dislikes them, which is a good sign <laughs> to start with. But I really feel that with the freeze-dried raspberries, it does actually take them to the next level. And the, the, the where I got that idea from was the there's a kind of new version of them called Dory Greenspan's World Co World Peace Cookies 2.0 which you can see online and it also uses a bit of sort of pepper or chili in there as well but I actually didn't use that um I'm sure it would be fab though but I uh, I just decided that I didn't kind of want to I thought the chocolate and raspberry was enough of an interesting contrast for me when I made these. And I really did enjoy with them with the black cocoa as well. I felt like because the raspberries are very intense, they really work well to offset that richness from that black cocoa. So very, very lovely. Let's talk about the ingredients. It's going to be really similar to the chocolate sable biscuits earlier, the Ed Kimber's ones, with a couple of little, you know, changes. So for these, you want 170 grams of all-purpose or plain flour, 28 grams of cocoa. She doesn't specify, so you could use natural, I'm sure. Um, obviously, you could use Dutch process. That would be great. But this episode is about black cocoa. <laughs> so that's what I used. You also want half a teaspoon of baking baking soda or bicarb, 155 grams of butter, which needs to be softened because again we're going to cream these using cream method. You want 50 grams of sugar, which is going to be castor, supervine, or granulated. I think any of those is absolutely fine. You also want 134 grams of light brown, sh brown sugar. You want half a teaspoon of flaky salt. You want a teaspoon of vanilla extract or bean paste. I would say don't overdo the vanilla here. So do you remember with the chocolate sablé that we talked about earlier, it was quite a heavy hit of vanilla. 
but with these because you've got that raspberry I really want to really I really want the vanilla to be more of a background flavor to just add a little bit of complexity but I really want the predominant flavors here to be chocolate and raspberry so that's my feelings about it you also want 150 grams of chocolate chopped into smallish pieces now in the original recipe i think it's dark chocolate now i know that i know that chocolate's categorized a bit differently in in the us um, in a way that i actually don't really understand <laughs> all the time you know there's bittersweet which i guess i think is probably the most like our dark chocolate and there's semi-sweet and there's this and there's that and basically chocolate in europe is just very different from that we make it differently as well and i have to say there's so many things I love about America. I think you have some incredible like bakes, loads of incredibly incredible baking traditions. But I I have to say, European chocolate is is actually just better. I'm sorry, but it's just true. <laughs> I really I'm not keen on uh, some of the main brands of chocolate. Um, Hershey's particularly does not does not taste like chocolate to me. Um, sorry and I have strong opinions about this so I'll, I'll wind my neck in but basically for this I used milk chocolate because I was using black cocoa if I was using a different type of cocoa such as natural or a lighter Dutch processed cocoa then I might use a mixture of darkened milk that's often my go-to or I might use dark um so I guess that's bittersweet or semi-sweet isn't it but um, as I say, for this, the milk chocolate was the reason why, yeah, it was because of the intensity of the black cocoa. So it's giving it a bit more creaminess. And then it means that you can really get all of those different flavours. You've got the richness of the dough, the creaminess of the milk chocolate, and then the sharpness of the raspberry. And I think that the combination of those three, like, really works, really works. I'm very proud of this, these actually. So not my recipe but I'm kind of proud of my very minor tweaks here and there so yeah milk chocolate is what I used here a high quality one it was about 37% cocoa solids I think I tend to buy the like French brands that come in like Colette's which are like big or Calais I think I don't know how you say it but they're like massive buttons basically um and I just chop them um, before using and then finally you want freeze-dried raspberries I'm not gonna lie this is a difficult ingredient to get hold of but I know it, it is carried by some of the major baking brands in a lot of countries I ordered mine off of Amazon again very expensive but I did get a lot of my money so I will be using them again and again and you only need 15 grams or up to about 20 grams you really don't need very much obviously all of the water has been taken out of these so that means that you get a really intense flavor and therefore you don't need you know to use loads of it if you in fact if you did it would it would really throw the balance off you just really want to use that that amount so the, the method is going to be pretty much the same as for the chocolate sablé that we talked about earlier. So you're creaming together the butter, vanilla and sugar. Then you are sifting the cocoa, baking soda and flour and maybe stirring those together. Then you add that, those dry ingredients to the butter mixture and combine. Then you add your chopped chocolate and raspberries and combine. Then you shape it into a couple of logs and you want these to be about 1.5 inches in diameter then you refrigerate thoroughly so for about four hours i would say then you preheat the oven to a low temperature so this is the same as for the previous sablé it's 325 fahrenheit or 160 degrees c let me just check that actually yeah that is 160 degrees c i just had to check and then you're going to bake them for just 12 minutes 
So space them a little bit apart, lined baking tray, obviously, 12 minutes. They will, again, similarly to the chocolate sablé, they are not going to look done, but just trust that they will be perfect. Um, as long as your oven is at the right temperature, they're going to be absolutely perfect. And that kind of maybe under baking them or not over baking them, it gives them that really short texture. So really worth you know, being quite precise about it. So that is, that's the method. Okay. Now what I've not really talked about is how long these things keep for. So the, both of the chocolate sablés, so Ed Kimber's ones and the world peace cookies, in my experience, they kept for about three to four days in a sealed container. Similar actually for the chocolate tahini shortbread, three to four days sealed container Pear cake, I guess, technically, because it's got fresh fruit in it, you should probably like keep it in the fridge, it, particularly if you live in a warm climate, because it's more likely to grow mold because of the moisture of the pears. However, living in a cold climate like I do, that is actually fine at room temperature for a few days. And because of the ground almonds in it, it's pretty slow to stale. So it's really nice. Um, so that's my thoughts on keeping and yeah I, I really hope that you have found this recipe useful that you've enjoyed it that you've been inspired to try out one of these bakes or to look up black cocoa or try another black cocoa thing out and as always it's just been a real pleasure to talk to you um, we've got some exciting things coming up we're going to have some a couple of interviews um, in the in the future and lots of lots of really good episodes that I planned as well like I've really been on fire recently so I really appreciate you listening um and I'm very proud that this podcast is growing and I'm, I'm, I really hope that the hard work that I've put into it is you can tell from listening you know that the quality is improving that the focus I think has really improved and yeah that's that's kind of all for today that the last thing i'm going to do is talk to you about what is coming up next week So next episode is going to be about a few very different loaf cakes. I'm going to be talking about a dairy-free carrot loaf cake. I'm going to be talking about a malted milk loaf with malted cream. And I'm going to be talking about a salty honey and tahini loaf. And maybe one more if I get the chance to <laughs> try out one more bake. So that's what's going to come up. I'm really excited. They're quite different, you know, and the kind of thing that holds them together is what they're baked in and what they look you know the sort of shape of them but really quite different bakes so a lot of nice variety in that episode and yeah we've got lots of other exciting things coming up as well in the future a little bit of housekeeping as always it is flourbuttereggssugar.com I've really started to realize that it's not the best name for search engine optimization. <laughs> so I'm grateful that you found us. Anyhow, you can also email me. It's flourbuttereggssugar at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Instagram. And let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear any feedback, positive or things that I could improve on. Let me know. So long as it's kind, all welcome. So lovely talking to you, as I said. I'm excited to talk to you in a couple of weeks. I hope that you're well. You know, I hope things are going okay for you right now. And you are safe and happy. And see you next time. Bye.
huh, you're still here. Okay, it's time for my little PS. Today's PS is a very silly one. So I have, I've always been a cake person, I guess. I do really like pie. I like bread. I like all of it. Hence the podcast. However, in recent times, I've become really, really obsessed with cookies slash biscuits is what we call them here. Really obsessed with biscuits. And so much so that there's always some biscuits on the go, basically. Uh, Actually very unusual at the moment in that there currently aren't any on on the go in this house. Um, But I will be baking some this afternoon to make that right. (laughs) So anyway. And we we do lack a bit of cupboard space here. It is a one-bedroom flat in North London. Uh, Not... um, you know, in a way, it's a nice flat. It's got a big kitchen for a one-bedroom flat. So, you know, in lots of ways, we're very lucky and, and grateful. But, yeah, not not the, not the most storage space, especially for somebody as obsessed with food as I am. So we've taken to putting our biscuits next to our... Uh, our next to the recipe books that we use most often that are kept in the kitchen. The others are kept in a bookcase in the living room. And that area has become known as Biscuit Corner. So I just really love that there's an area of my kitchen that me and my partner refer to as Biscuit Corner. That is, it's not, you know, oh yeah, the left, underneath the left windowsill. It's not next to the toaster, which is also true. It's not next to the recipe books, which is also true. Uh, It's Biscuit Corner. That's its name. So if you've got any funny little household quirks, I'd love to know about them. Let me know and see you on the next one. Bye.